Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Why you should not train like an elite. Elite runners are great to look up to. We often like to know the secrets of how they train. And it can be mind-boggling to see that elite marathoners are logging 120-plus miles per week on the regular. How can they do it? What does it feel like to run 120 miles a week? Often, we use the principles in training that elites use on a broad level, like keeping the easy days easy and the hard days hard. All athletics generally operate in a similar fashion using the growth formula equation, which is stress plus rest equals growth. We grow when we expose our bodies to stress and then allow our bodies to build adaptations to that stress by resting. So rest is extremely important. It is only in the resting phase that our body is able to actually rebuild stronger from the stress that we put on it as a response. Therefore, we are only able to improve if we are able to fully recover from all of the stress that we put our bodies through on the day-to-day basis. We live in a culture that prides itself on working harder and the grind, the hustle. America In America, we have a little bit of a hustle culture, whether we like that or not. This is not always the best thing for us. It's not always good to do more. Sometimes rest is undervalued in our culture. Often employees are working overtime and not being as productive as they could be if they had just been given extra breaks or a vacation. Our culture just does not value rest as much as the rest of the world or as much as it should be valued. Often these go, go, go and do it all mentalities boil into our hobbies and our family lives. However, in athleticism, doing more and trying to pile more and more and more on top of your plate without balancing that out with adequate rest is a recipe for disaster. And this is why we are going to be discussing why you should not be training like an elite or a professional athlete when you are not an elite or professional athlete. I have with me today Jason Phillippe, who has been coaching for 10 years, and he is an athlete himself. He has been running for over 20 years of his life, and he went through, um, you know, the programs in middle school, high school, and in college. Um, so competing at a high level, um, and even at the college level, when you're a college athlete, you have certain things that are available to you and certain things in your life that allow you to train at um, 
a higher level maybe than a working professional who you know has a family and is going to grad school and all of those things. So we're going to be talking a little bit about um, just the setup and the life that you know maybe college athletes or elite athletes, professional athletes have, and kind of what that looks like. Um, and then we're going to be talking about how their life is maybe structured a little bit differently than the recreational um, athlete or competitive athlete like we are now. Um, both Jason and I are competitive runners, so we can kind of frame up for you uh, what our lives look like um, and definitely how they are different from you know a professional athlete standpoint. And so that's why we don't train like we're professionals. Um, and obviously... In addition to that, just not being at um, the level of elite athletes is something that we're also going to be taking a look at and um, kind of when it's necessary to increase the load. Like when would it be necessary to run more miles? When would it be necessary to get up to 100 miles a week? And all of those fun things. So Jason, I guess we'll have you kick things off. I think you kind of know a little bit about, you know, you have so many um, friends who uh, I wouldn't classify as elites, like we know within the running community, like uh, Ben Sathre or um, even like a Matt Bomeister, people who have qualified for the Olympic trials um, or, you know, like two fourteen marathoners and even someone that you went to high school with, I think uh, Antonio Vega, correct me if I'm wrong, but he, you know, very, very fast half marathoner, um, you know, some of the fastest people in the country. So I guess looking just at their life and background when they were competing at that level, kind of what did their day-to-day look like and how is it um, maybe different than what, you know, our listeners or maybe we do. So frame up for me, like what a professional runner's day would look like. Yeah, definitely. When I think about elite runners too, there definitely is a spectrum, right? Like we we know people like Galen Rupp who are 100% full-time elite runners. They're sponsored and all that. They make their living off running. Um, and then there's also runners like our own coach, Brianna, who runs for um, the Minnesota Distance Elite Project. And, um, you know, they their schedule is going to look a little bit different and they're probably asked to to work. And I know there's other uh, local racing organizations out there, even like Hanson's Brooks. You know, a lot of times their athletes would work at their running stores. Um, so they're kind of working part time while they're running. They're making a living. They're receiving some form of a stipend and um but when I'm talking about elites today, I'm kind of going to be referring to really like the the elites that are, um, you know, on a contract and they're they're training together with like with a group. Um, I read a book over the summer uh, by Ben Rosario and um, uh, the uh, NAZ Elite Group uh, called Inside a Marathon. So that's a it gives you a lot of perspective as to kind of the day to day routines of runners and looking at the training. They were very. Um, candid about like what they had their athletes do. They laid out the week to week buildups for these for these races, and um, yeah, I mean a lot of it comes down to you know thinking about when these athletes are becoming at the elite level. A lot of times they have an extensive background in running to begin with. So the majority, I'd probably say, I don't know, ninety percent of elite runners ran competitively in high school and college, and so they're just kind of taking their training to another level. And that's really the big reason why they have such a solid foundation and um, they're able to handle so much more in terms of volume. And when we talk about mileage and stuff, you know, you're, you think about 100 mile weeks and for them, that's, that's just like an average person maybe running like 30 or 40 miles in a week. So it's, it's um, definitely, you know, they're going to be spending more time on their feet, um, a lot more two-a-days, um, 
a lot of times they'll run like AM and PM runs maybe three to four days in a week. And um, their weekly long runs are going to be a lot higher depending on what they're training for. Uh, but so those are some of the key differences, I would say. Um, the, uh, they also were in that book, they wrote down a lot of the things that they did in terms of like recovery and massage and acupuncture and Normatec and all these different things. And it was kind of cool to see like them sprinkled out throughout the course of a week too. Like it was never one thing that they did every day. It was just like things like that, that they did on like maybe every Monday and then every Tuesday. And it was kind of different throughout. So it was nice to see, um, some of the other things that they implemented, um, into their training, but I would say anywhere from yeah, uh, two to four hours per per training block um, it would take them as far as their practice goes. So two to four hours in the morning and then probably another like two hours in the evening. Right, yeah. That, I mean, that's a lot of information just right there, framing up kind of what their day-to-day looks like in general. Um, it's just so very different than most of the people probably listening, you know, having families, working full-time, going to, you know, stressful jobs. So a lot of um, the jobs that, you know, some of these professional runners have maybe are lower stress, they're more part-time. Um, I know in the Minneapolis community, most of the people who are on that Minnesota Distance Elite, um, they're told to work only part-time because they need to spend the rest of their day, you know, taking naps or recovering. Um, and they're told to try to take daily naps. And I mean, that's part of like their job. So it's a little bit interesting because, um, their job is to recover from these sessions. So their job is not only to do the workouts, um, to execute the paces and all that stuff, put in these hundred mile weeks, but also they have to focus so much on the recovery. So, I mean, all they're doing is really focusing on nutrition, napping, um, getting as much sleep as they can, staying off their feet, not exerting a lot of extra energy. And so their lifestyle and what they're doing and able to do on the day-to-day basis really revolves um, so much around their running to like almost a degree that is unfathomable to most people. You know, like we don't think twice, like if we are going to go and, you know, go to happy hour with our coworkers after work, right? Like, but then that's, that's like a huge thing. They have to think, okay, like drinking and how's that going to impact me? And how's it going to impact my week? And like, am I staying hydrated and all these things? Like there's just so many things. So anything that's involving their body and their nutrition is so um, critical for them, which is really interesting. But another thing that, you know, maybe you're listening and you're like, I have all the time in the world. I can spend a ton of time to devote to these recovery activities. And I know you have personally had an athlete who was like, nope, I don't, you know, have a family life. I, I have like a job that's not super stressful, but I can spend so much time on the recovery. Um, I can devote so much time to my training. And sometimes you get these people that are like, yep, I have 30 hours I can devote to, you know, training and recovery and all this stuff. And you're like, okay, well, there's still like the elephant in the room, right? So elites are elite, right? They're, they're extremely fast. And so painting a picture, I mean, someone like Shalane Flanagan has been literally running her entire life, right? I think she interviewed once and said something like, she thought that everyone's parents went on like a Sunday long run because that's just like the culture that she was exposed to as a kid. Like her parents were really good runners and, and she got into, you know, the middle school cross country program and then high school and like was always one of the top performers within her program. Um, obviously probably running at the D1 level and then just going straight from that immersion of always being in a running program um, and being the top runner to where she is now. Um, you can kind of see how, you know, the, the load that you can handle if you've started running 
20 years ago and you've only increased from there is so different. Um, and also from a performance perspective, you know, someone who is a 15 minute 5k runner, um, they're just naturally going to most likely be running more miles than someone who is like a 30 minute 5k runner. So how does that work? Um, for people maybe who are listening, who are, who don't understand like the relationship between like how you're, your mileage and you know like how fast you are like do you have to run a certain amount of miles to be fast and then at what point um like how do you how do you figure out that mileage piece and how do you refrain people like maybe like me like a three a three thirteen marathoner from you know running too many miles because I could easily say oh I'm just gonna do what they do run 100 miles a week but that's not gonna yield me the same results that they have. So how do you kind of explain that to someone? Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing to remember is just that, you know, all these athletes have their own unique background. And while I said earlier, the majority probably grew up running high school, college, you know, they've been exposed to consistent training blocks year after year after year, targeting, um, you know, improving their aerobic foundation, improving their VO2 max. Um, they've probably done so many races over the course of their career from, you know, on the track, off the track, cross country, road races, every distance you can imagine. And so I think it just makes them really well-rounded. And what we know about running is the more we do it over time, we just, we improve our overall running economy and, you know, things start to feel a little bit easier. And so I think for a lot of these elites, like, you know, you you can string together 60 or 70 mile a week pretty easily um, for some of them. And so I think that they, over time have just trained their bodies. So, you know, they fine tuned so many things to uh, be able to do this and to, um, you know, really push the envelope in terms of trying to expand their training. Um, but a lot of it has to do with, I think, yeah, the, the, wherever they come from their unique background, like they're, they've been coached, right. And so they've been following some sort of training. And, you know, when we think about even athletes like, like a Gwen Jorgensen, or for example, who didn't grow up being a runner, but she was a triathlete or Antonio Vega, you mentioned earlier, um, who was a, someone I went to high school with who only ran track through his senior year. And then we finally convinced him to run cross country. Um, and then he went on to run for the, the university of Minnesota and then eventually won a U.S. half marathon championship, um, you know, everyone comes from kind of different backgrounds and there's, there's people that, um, turn into elite runners who were maybe swimmers in high school and college and that sort of thing. Um, I think the thing they had in common was that they were active in some capacity. They started developing their aerobic foundation and yeah, to some extent they, they started, you know, running more and more and they probably had to sustain a certain number of miles per week. And that's going to vary per the, per individual and what distance we're talking about. But if we're talking about a 5k runner to get down to a sub 16, or a sub 15, yeah, you're probably looking at running um, a minimum of 40 miles in a week, uh, year after year, um, doing quite a bit of VO2 max training, especially. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I would say about getting to that level. Like it doesn't just happen overnight. Every now and then we meet an adult who started running later on in life, right? Maybe in their mid twenties or thirties even, and they're pretty good. They're at a level where, yeah, maybe it's around like 16 minute 5k. And so, I, I would assume even for them, they probably had to um, string together some consistent blocks of training um, month after month, year after year to get to where they are. Yeah, I really liked what you said about the word incremental because that's really what you really need to focus on, right? So, you know, you take someone like Shalane Flanagan, she starts running in middle school, you know, and now what, she's 30, 38 or 37 when she retired. 
so, I mean, you're talking someone who starts running when they're 12. I mean, that's a lot of years, right? Back to back to back. And she didn't take... She, I mean, obviously she has off seasons or, you know, times where she had to take a little bit of time off, but it was so consistent over time. And it was these incremental changes. So she didn't ever like make a jump where she was running 40 miles a week, 50 miles a week. And then she was like, Oh, I'm going to do a hundred. It was more like, okay. Like she was in middle school running maybe 40 miles a week. Then in high school it was like 50, 60, 70. And then it's like in college, she gets into the eighties, nineties. And that's something that was held for, you know, a series of a couple of years. And within those, um, training blocks that she was in, let's say you're in college and you're running 80, 90 miles a week. Um, you're doing incremental changes. So maybe, you know, one season you're running 80 miles a week and then the next season your coach decides to like just add in one or two days a week where you do like double runs. And that's just the change that you needed to maybe take five seconds off your time or 10 seconds off your time. Um, the next season, it might be, okay, we're going to maybe increase your mileage a little bit more. So now you're hitting 90. So that took two years to go from 80 to 90 miles. Um, but in that time, the coach is assessing, are you making progress, right? And if she was, uh, then it's like, okay, let's continue increasing the stimuli. And so you get to this point where it's like, you're increasing the stimuli to elicit this response and the response is there. So we have to continue to increase the stimuli. And so you get to a point where, you know, maybe you start with the 40 miles a week and it seems like, wow, you're, you're really making improvements when we increase your mileage. And it, it just continues for these elite athletes, you know, after 10, 15 years, they just continue increasing not only in their mileage, but you know, the volume of their workouts and all these things are slowly getting edited over time. And so what you're looking at right now is a snapshot of where they are after 20, 15 years of building there. And so it's not really fair that, you know, a recreational athlete or even a competitive runner like myself, who I have been running, in my opinion, for a long time. But when I look at how long I really have been running, it is like pennies compared to how long these, you know, elite runners have been running and how big their aerobic base is and all of those things. And even if, you know, you're looking at a different athlete who maybe didn't start running until they were a little older, it doesn't matter because what they were doing before that uh, you know, playing soccer or, you know, playing hockey, whatever it is, there's a, like an aerobic development base that maybe they were able to skip and maybe they were able to just dive in when they first started running into that 40 mile a week range. And then that's when their journey started. So everyone is different. And I think when you look at weekly mileage, it's just really important to understand that it's very individualized. Um, and looking at what other people do, like if I were to look at, uh, you and say, I'm just going to copy your training because, you're faster than me and I want to be like you, um, it wouldn't, it would never work just because we're two totally different people and we could train the exact same way. Um, but I would never like, I can't just mimic what you do and be as fast as you. And so I think that's really important to remember when we're looking at elites training, we can't just increase our mileage and expect that, you know, just because you're running 60 miles a week, that equates to a certain marathon time or that equates to a certain speed. Um, and I think that's where it gets really tricky because mileage is one of those things that anyone can, you know, try to run more. Anyone can kind of do that, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get faster. Um, so I guess the other factor that's in there is the workouts that these elites do, right? So most people, I think, understand, okay, I'm not going to run 100 miles a week. Um, I understand mileage is kind of individualized, but then they see these workouts that elites are doing like 20 mile long runs or 24 mile long runs, um, or like 18 mile progression runs. 
Um, maybe it's like 10 by one mile or like 20 by one K, uh, or I don't know, you know, you just see workouts that are very, very high in volume like that. And you're like, Whoa, like, do I need to be doing something like that? Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people can look at 10 by one mile and be like, no, I'm never going to do a workout like that. But when they see something like a 24 mile long run, they go, oh yeah. You know, like it just, some of them, I think people tend, have the tendency to want to mimic more than others. So talk to me a little bit about the common workouts that you think that athletes see elites doing that they feel they should be doing. Um, and maybe why, why it's not the best idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think right off the bat, the most common ones would be those longer runs. You know, when we think about 20 miles, everyone thinks they need to do a 20 mile long run to prepare for a marathon. I think there's something obviously about just getting to that number. Um, but you know, depending on what level you're at, that's that's definitely not always, um, the smartest approach. Like for a new, new, new runner, who's probably going to run, you know, the first marathon around, let's just say five hours. Um, I don't think you need to run a 20 mile long run. I think you can get by off like 17, 18. Um, we could also structure your week differently where you're doing back to back, you know, like a medium long run and then a long run or something like that. So, um, you know, we also know that there's a lot of science behind the reasons why we shouldn't be on our feet more than about that three hour range. Um, just because the damage to our, our muscles and tissues is going to be more, more prevalent. So when we think about these elites, you know, you mentioned a 20 mile long run or 24 miles, um, they're, they're doing that in a little over two hours. So that's, you know, that's going to be probably like the equivalent of running like 12 to 15 miles for most people. Um, so we got to think about time on the feet and not so much the distance. Um, they're also covering the marathon distance in a little over two hours. So, um, you know, that's something that they've worked up to be able to handle. And, um, as far as like shorter race, shorter, uh, you know, distances go, I would say just the volume like of, uh, of intervals, they might be doing like 24, 20 by 400 or 24 by 400 or, um, 32 by 200, something like that, where it's, it's just an insane amount of like repeat after repeat after repeat. Um, and the reason they're doing so many is because, um, you know, we briefly talked about this earlier in the car about this topic today, but you talked about how athletes, um, athletes that are, you know, nor near the level of elite, we don't need to do much to get a response and, and to uh, gain fitness. But for these elite athletes, they need to really squeeze the lemon really, really hard to be able to just get a little bit better. And so over time, they've done the progression, kind of like you said, they've built up um, not just with mileage, but in workouts. So they've done the 10 by 400 and the 12 and the 16 and the 20. So now it's getting harder. It might be getting faster. They may be throwing um, more, um, or less rest, or they might throw in like tempos in their, in between their, their intervals, stuff like that. So I think the workouts become a little bit more unique. Um, some of the workouts are targeting more than one, um, zone as well, or more than one, um, part of our fitness. So they may be doing like a fart lick and then they may end with a tempo or, um, vice versa. They may start with like some marathon pace work and then get on the track and do something faster. And so I think for a lot of us, we don't, we don't need to be doing workouts to that extent or to, you know, that are that, taxing to us, um, to get a response. I think for them, uh, you know, it goes back to the years and years of training and they need to work a little bit harder just to get that much better. Right. It's all about that progressive overload approach. And so just thinking that they have so many years worth of workouts, um, under them. And so, 
you know, what started as maybe like a, a three by one mile workout has now, you know, over the course of over a decade is now a 10 by one mile. And, you know, they had to continue to increase that load just because the law of diminishing returns, right? In the beginning, you, you can not do as much and see huge results, right? Like, I mean, going from 10 miles a week to 50 miles a week is probably where you're going to see like the biggest gain. Like you're going to see transformational changes. You're going to go from more of like a recreational athlete to, you know, very, very competitive within what your ability level is. Um, but then once you kind of hit that 40, 50 mile range, like anything that you're doing above that, like you're not going to see as drastic of a result, right? Like you're maybe going to see couple seconds, like in a 5k, right? And so you have to work that much harder just to get like a little bit better. And so that's what the law of diminishing returns is. It's where, you know, at first you see really, really good results from doing just even small things. But then as you get faster and faster, it's like you have to, I mean, just to even get a little bit, um, just to even see like a one second improvement, it, it could take you like a year, like a whole training cycle and like doing like a new stimuli and all those things. So really, you don't want to be um, at that point that they are at because they literally have to do those workouts because that's the only way that they can get like that little extra edge. Whereas someone like me or you, it's like there are just so many directions that we could go, just change one variable, and it's going to elicit um, a stress response that's positive and that can give us that upper edge. And I think a lot of people, they, they get into that trap of wanting to have it all right now, right away, and you know, you can, like some people can handle doing crazy things and crazy workouts. Like I know I am a more durable athlete maybe than, than you are or other people are. And some people just have that durability factor. So it's like, I could pound away at workout after workout and I probably wouldn't get an injury, but there is the mental side of that also. Right. So how long can you train above your ability level and not get mentally burnt out, right? So I, you know, thought, oh, you know, I'm invincible, whatever. Um, you know, two years down the road, you realize like, oh, like, you know, mentally, it's just not there. Or, you know, race day comes, you feel a little flat. Um, there are ways that these things creep up on you, whether you recognize it right away or not. Um, you just, you can't, um, you can't get away with it forever. Right. So the reason that elites are where they are is because they did incremental changes. They didn't just, you know, jump the gun and go from zero to 60 right away. So you really have to build incrementally and, um, just thinking about, that path and what is the the small you want to be able to do like the smallest change that elicits the greatest response and then once you have that response you continue to build the load and that's really how you become um the best athlete that you can be and just another thing just discussing obviously we're here talking about elites and their lifestyle and I know we touched a little bit about how you know they maybe don't some of them don't have jobs or if they do it's part time and they're able to take these naps um how does your recovery kind of impact like how much that you're able to train? Um, and maybe just talking about that piece in general, because I think that's something that a lot of people are maybe naive to the fact that everyone has a different life setup, right? Like mm-hmm. even I get direct messages sometime on social media on my personal account and people are like, how do you have time to run 40 miles a week? Like I literally don't have time. And 
I'm, I'm like, okay, like, I don't know your life, right? Like, I have no idea what your life looks like. And I think that's the hardest part is no one really knows what you do with your time and what your life looks like and how stressful it is. I just know that my life, right? Like, I know that I'm able to work from home and that is really like, I mean, that's huge, right? Like that's no commute, um, less stress, all of those things. And so it, it's hard to compare apples and oranges when you see someone else and, and you're saying, oh, how can you, how do you have time for strength training and yoga? Like, how do you have time for all that? And I'm like, dude, I, I literally can't, I, I don't know because I don't know your life. And so to compare isn't really fair. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, you know, we all have different schedules. We all have different, um, um, you know, things outside of our life in terms of work and family and other responsibilities that we have to take care of. Um, you know, a lot of times these elite athletes, you know, we think about the number of hours that we're all working. If it's eight hours a day on average, you know, they're not running for eight hours a day, but all of those other little things kind of add up to their eight hours. So they might train for four four hours a day. Then they might um, do some stretching ice bath for, you know, half hour and they may do strength training session for an hour. And then they may do massage or some sort of, um, other, you know, muscle repair or taking a nap. And so, you know, when you start to add all that up, yeah, that's kind of becomes their full-time job. And, and, um, so that's really how they're able to prioritize that and find time for it for, I think it's even harder for those athletes that are, yeah, they're working a 40 hour week job or plus 40 hours a week. And then they have to figure out how am I going to do my training? Um, you know, to, be involved with my family, uh, and also figure out that time for recovery. And that's where it becomes really about prioritization and about time management and figuring out what, what is it going to you know, look like for you and what things maybe you're going to eliminate because it's hard to fit it all in. And you may go through phases. I know we talked about this on previous podcasts where you, know, you go through certain periods in your life that you may have to scale back your training a bit. And you're going to have to figure out like, maybe I don't want to train for a marathon knowing that I'm not going to be able to reach my potential unless I can you know, um, really devote this time for recovery, for strength training, for injury prevention, all of that, for extra planning that goes into the nutrition, because I know my, you know, I'm going to need to eat more calories and all that sort of thing. So maybe you're just focusing more on shorter distances or, you know, that can save a lot of time too. When we think about it, um, you know, you don't need your, your two up two plus hour long runs on the weekends. Um, so that frees up time right there, but yeah, just, just thinking about, um, your schedule and, um, the phase of life that you're in, I think, and figuring out a routine that'll work well for you and what sort of things are going to be implemented um, to help you just, um, you know, stay motivated. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, just looking at their lives versus our lives, there's so many differences. Um, and yet there's that similarity, right? We're all, we're all running. We all have running related goals. And so it's really easy to kind of look at someone's training. Maybe like you're looking at someone's Strava and you're like, hey, I want to kind of train like they're training. I want to be as fast as them. So I'm going to try to mimic what they're doing. Um, and then just to not know what's going on, like with their, you know, home life or how, how is their day structured, right? Um, and I think everyone's kind of looking for that easy fix, that quick hack. But in reality, sometimes doing less actually is more, right? It's better. So, I mean, there's a couple of transformational periods within someone's life, right? So you went from being a college athlete to being a working professional. Um, and yet, you know, one might argue that being a college athlete, you probably had more time for training. You had, um, you, you had teammates, right? So that's a whole nother thing that elites have that we don't have as professionals. You have a team, you have a coach, like you have people that are there that you're not paying out of pocket for. It's like, they want you to be there. They're, 
encouraging you to be there. Um, you have that teammate, that camaraderie. Yet after college, you were still able to um, improve without all of those resources available to you. But it's very different, right? It's very independent. You have to find your own motivation. And I think when it comes down to it at the end of the day, you know, you're going to work all day. It's you against you, right? When you get home, no one's there to hold you accountable. You don't have a coach. You don't make a living off of it. It's a hobby. And so that motivational force, I think people like don't understand how valuable that is. So if that's missing or if like you just had a really stressful day at work, you just can't work up that like extra care to go out there alone in the cold, in the dark, you know, whatever. So that, that can, um, really hold you back. So then, you know, after college, right. A lot of people go into, uh, the phase of having children, getting married, and that can definitely create additional, you know, time things that get in the way. So before having kids, right? Like I, I ran foolishly ran like 70, 80 miles a week. And I was like, well, I have time and I have extra time to recover from these things. Um, and I thought that I was training in an optimal way. Right. And then, you know, after having kids, I, it was like a reality check. Like I was like, I don't have time to run more than, you know, 40, 50 miles a week, really. Um, and then even doing that sometimes is so exhausting because when you're done with your run, it's like, go, 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 right? You don't get to lay around. You don't get to recover from the run. You have to pick up a toddler. You have to, you know, help feed babies and all of those things. So it's just very different. And so, I had to cut down my mileage pretty drastically, and yet I was still able to improve and PR in every distance. So one might say that it didn't really like make logical sense when it comes to training, right? You would think the person that's that's running more and has more time to recover is going to be faster, right? Whereas me running significantly less and not having as much time to recover was actually able to perform better. So how is it that, you know, elites or non-elites can sometimes get away with, you know, like the less is more approach, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll come down to um, their experiences, their background. I know for myself, like, um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do less now than I did in college and ever get as fast again. Like I would have to work super hard to get back to that level. So I think it depends on kind of your past and at what level you were at. Uh, before and what you know what distance goals that you are are training for and that sort of thing Um, I do think I could get faster at the longer distances just because I'm not that experienced in that area so that's kind of you know my comparison I think for most most adult athletes yeah I think the there is room to get faster in longer distance races probably because they haven't been doing that um, their entire life like you know most most really competitive athletes grew up running shorter distances um but yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said about being stretched too thin and, and um, figuring out, you know, kind of goes back to just the puzzle. How does everything balance together in your life to make running seem um, like you're, you know, your escape from all your other responsibilities, but also something you're really passionate about and wanting to, to take your fitness to the next level versus um, this is really just an added stressor and it's a chore and it's not fun. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not seeing results, that sort of thing. I, I feel like I'm running you know, as much as I was this year when I was running faster times, but I'm not seeing the same results, that sort of thing. And we just have to think about like all the other factors that are 
on the on our plate at that time and how it could be different and that could be really affecting um you know our performance so kind of comes down to just yeah figuring out um what what our balance is going to look like currently yeah i definitely think a lot of um, more competitive recreational athletes definitely get to that like being stretched too thin point and that's kind of when um you know you start to see that the performances decline and that's sometimes when it's like okay if you maybe do less then you won't feel stretched too thin you'll have more time to recover you'll be happier you'll be enjoying it more and then boom you'll be able to um, run faster so it's not necessarily to say that that's like good that's the best way physiologically like if we were all in a vacuum but it's to say there's so many other factors in more of a recreational athlete's life like for me it would have been miserable to pound through you know 70 miles a week I wouldn't have been happy I would have hated it um sure I could do it but it's like it just wouldn't have felt good and so for a lot of people listening it's like you have to do what feels good for you right so if you're just forcing yourself to you know, run a certain mileage because you feel obligated or, you know, I have a friend that that's on like a seven or eight year run streak and she's miserable. She, I mean, she like hates doing it. Um, and she'll talk about how she wants to end it. And it's like, well, just end the, the, the thing then just stop doing it. Um, there's been so many times where she's like, Hey, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. And she never does. And so I'm always like, dude, if you just, if you were able to just take a rest day every once in a while, I think you would be so much happier. And I think that as a result, like it would just propel your running to the next level. But so often I think runners, we get stuck in these traps where we think we have to do certain things because we're afraid our fitness is going to not improve, but really we're forgetting like the mental side of training, right? Like there's that mentality of enjoying yourself and not having that weight on your shoulders. Like you're not an elite. You don't have to train like an elite to get results, right? Like like I was saying earlier, you can jump your mileage from 10 to 40 and see huge results, right? So there are so many little things that a non-elite can do to really propel their running forward, right? Like you have so much room for improvement. And sometimes all you really need to do is like adjust your mindset and adjust how you're thinking about things. Because if you're going around thinking every single day, oh, like I got to run because I have this seven year run streak and, and it's a chore for you, you're never going to have fun with it and p- want to put yourself all out on the line and just like enjoy what you're doing because you feel like you're so obligated to run these miles and do the thing and you never get a break. Um, so I think looking at it from that perspective and seeing, is it worth it? Like, is it, is your training making you miserable right now or do you enjoy it? And what are some ways that you can make things more enjoyable? Because like I said, we're not elites, right? So you don't need to train exactly like they're doing. And sometimes it actually makes you, um, worse in the long run because you're, you're trying to, put yourself on expectations that really like aren't even there for you. Um, so what are some ways that you, you train? Like I know with the biking, um, sometimes you add that in. Do you think that that's helped your running and, um, maybe physically or more so mentally? Uh, is it something that you do just because you enjoy it as well? And is there something to be said about people who allow themselves that not so rigid structure where they can do things that they enjoy, um, do you think that they actually end up performing better? Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, the mental side of things is so important. I think, um, 
you know, it's different from mental toughness. It's more about like just being, being positive and, um, you know, how, how you're feeling about like what you're currently doing. And then that'll kind of correlate to like where your fitness is. Um, you know, the reason I was biking more this year in 2020, obviously races were canceled. And I had a few flare-ups with injuries and I just wanted to challenge myself in a different way. Um, not only to stay motivated mentally to do something, but, and to not lose fitness, but physically to kind of make me, to help myself feel stronger just because I wasn't able to kind of go out and run. Um, so I wanted my legs to, you know, stay, stay fit and stay strong. So that's kind of what, what I did to change up things for myself this year. And I know that, um, you know, there will be periods where I get more invested in, in just the running. And, I, and when I go back to it, I'm expecting that mentally I'm going to be, you know, more, it, it'll be easier for me, I think, to go all in than it will be if you just kind of stay in this constant state of, um, you know, running cycle after training cycle after training cycle. And, um, yeah, I definitely think sometimes we get in our, our own heads and it's okay to change things up. I think that's really how we, um, that's how we get to our running to the next level is we, we do things that are sometimes drastic, like maybe elites, maybe take a full month off of running or, um, you know, they just, they go on a trip and forget about everything for a while. Um, so I think that it's okay to, yeah, to do those things and to, um, sometimes just switch up what you're doing and, and try a new approach. Cause I think that that's one way to kind of respark our motivation. <clears throat> Right. And then just remembering to keep things in perspective. So, you know, obviously there's some principles that we do that are very similar to elite. It's like keeping the easy days easy and the hard days hard, right? Um, recovery is important. Like these are all things that are similar, but the, the reason that you don't want to train like an elite is just because what they're doing is so different, like in terms of volume and workouts. So, just because they're knocking out 20 mile long runs every single week leading up to a marathon doesn't mean you have to. And, and just going back to the whole um, principle of why they run 20 miles a week and like how long it takes them and, and thinking about the science behind it, um, like you were saying, you know, it, it takes them a little over two hours to do that 20 mile long run. So if you really translate what they're doing in terms of like time, right? So if you look at it from a time perspective, most of them are training for a marathon and the marathon race itself for them, it's a two to two and a half hour race. So they're training for like a two and a half hour long race. So if you were to ask yourself, you know, if you were training for a race, that's two and a half hours, what would your, you know, training look like? And, and that's really, that's really the question. Um, you, you can't compare, uh, you know, like a six hour race or five hour race, four hour race to someone who's training for a two and a half hour race. Um, it's just different uh, physiologically. Um, and so the things that you would have to do, you know, for a marathon training, if you're more of like five hour marathoner, is going to look a little bit more similar to maybe like what an ultra marathoner does. And so that's why we do more of like the back to back long runs, um, prepping for, you know, what that fatigue is going to feel like. Um, the 20 miler, you know, it's just so funny and we'll probably do another podcast on that later this year, but, you know, just driving home the fact that running for more than three hours at a time, um, just scientifically, there's just a lot of things that have been, um, shown that it does more damage than good. And so it's just all about being smart and training, um, by the correct rules. So elites are following rules. You're probably going to follow your rules are going to look a little bit differently because, 
um, you know, it might take you longer to run those 20 milers. So long runs, of course, are important for marathon training, but we don't need to be doing um, the same sort of mileage that they're doing. And then, you know, just because they're running doubles, that doesn't mean that, you know, we, we should be running doubles. And I think the rule of thumb was like, once you get to like 70 miles a week on singles, that's when you can add in doubles, something like that. And so really it doesn't apply to pretty much anyone unless you're probably considered elite yourself. So just keeping things in mind and then knowing that everyone's train is going to look a little bit differently. So not only should you not train like an elite, you shouldn't train like anyone else except for yourself. Um, Your training should really be specific to you and your life because no one really knows what's going on in your life and your life schedule other than you. Um, so Jason, do you have any last minute tips as someone who's kind of gone through different phases of life and training, um, when it comes to, you know, your running? Um, yeah, you know, I, I like how you open this podcast by saying, um, elites kind of serve as an inspiration to us. And I think that it's, it's definitely cool to look up to them, but we always want to put it in perspective and keep in mind, like that their background is completely different. And most of them, um, you know, we're born with this amazing talent and we're super fast, like even as like a 15 or 16 or 18 year old in high school and they're running super fast 5Ks already and then they're on these college scholarships. And so um, over time, they yeah, they've tied a lot of their identity to their performance as a runner and they, um, you know, they um, pour a lot of time and energy into their training year after year after year. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely the talent aspect. We talked earlier too about like durability and how much of a factor that plays. And obviously over time they get stronger and you have to be extremely durable. So that's just something that to get to that level, you have to have some level of uh, strength and durability. Um, and then like the mental side too, like not only are they probably mentally tough, but they're getting more opportunities to work on the mental training when you're doing all these races and you're developing rivals and you're doing workouts with people, um, you know, and you're traveling all the time for races, it just becomes like, it's, it's, they're always sharpening the mental, the mental side of things that kind of help them with their performance and with help them with, you know, adding more stressors into their, their daily routine for running. And so, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes fun to fantasize, like getting to a certain level with our own running. And I think that we just need to think about what are the things that we have control over that can kind of help us get to that level. And sometimes, it's, it's just the little things along the way, right? Like maybe, maybe getting some new shoes or some new gear and that can really just spark, um, you know, extra motivation for a while. Um, and so, or you, you plan new routes or you, you go run with friends or you run with someone who's slightly faster than you. So those are the little things that I'm talking about that we can do, um, that sometimes, you know, elites get an opportunity to do on a daily basis. And so, um, if we can just start to add some of those things incrementally over time, I think it'll have a big impact with our, with our own running. Yes, definitely. And I love how you kind of added that little piece about, you know, a lot of these leads are super talented, right? So genetically, they're just faster than most of us, probably just at a raw level, but then also um, probably more durable, right? And probably mentally, you know, tougher. And so there's so many different factors that go into, you know, their background and their biology. Um, and that's really important to think about as well. And I think that kind of leads into one of our upcoming podcasts that we're going to be talking about, like, have you peaked with running and kind of what it takes to get to that next level and talking about, you know, just like the talent 
versus work um, component and like how fast you can become because it's a really interesting topic um, and I don't think it's chatted enough in the running community. Um, So I think that kind of wraps things up as it comes to this podcast. So remember, um, there's just so many things that goes into your training and you should train specific to you, right? So start where you are, progressive overload. And do incremental increases. You can only improve as much as you are able to rest and recover from. And just because elites are doing something does not mean that you should try to mimic it or do your own version of those things. Obviously, we all follow similar principles like keeping the easy days easy and the hard days hard. But when it comes down to it, it's just really hard to look at someone else's training and try to mimic it. So we like to focus on your training and how you can improve specifically. So if you're ever curious about how that would look like, um, given your background and all of those things, we would love to write a seven week or a seven day free training plan for you. Um, we can get you all set up working with a coach. And if you fill out the form at www.runforprs.co, we can get you set up right away. Thanks for tuning in.